Hello, and welcome to the Accessible Enneagram, an Enneagram podcast for everyone. I'm your co-host, Tori, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm your other co-host, Meg, and I use she and they pronouns. We are hoping to make this the most accessible Enneagram podcast out there. We're doing this in a couple different ways. First off, we're making it accessible from a disability standpoint. So we will be having this both video with closed captioning and audio, and we will be making sure that they are accessible vice versa. So if we talk about something that's visual, we'll describe it and so on and so forth. And then we are also making this accessible from an identity perspective, making sure that we acknowledge that there are differences in how we each experience life from the perspective of power and oppression. So we are trying to be as inclusive as possible, as accessible as possible, and also accessible from an introductory Enneagram level, because we want anyone to be able to listen to this podcast and actually know what the heck we're talking about. Correct. We would like to begin today with talking about a little bit about the Enneagram just as a concept and establishing what it is and what it is not, because like any topic that has permeated the public consciousness, there's a lot of misinformation out there about the Enneagram. And we want to specifically talk about how we're going to be approaching it in this podcast. So we do not particularly care how old the Enneagram is. There's this sort of appeal to ancient wisdom thing that happens when people like something and want it to be meaningful. But the Enneagram doesn't need to have been thousands of years old and invented in Mesopotamia to be helpful to us. So we're going to be focusing on the way it is currently understood, which is a psycho-spiritual tool for growth. It is not prescriptive. It is based not on your behavior, but on your motivations, which means that you are the only person that can truly understand yourself and your own type. Feedback from other people can be helpful in typing and understanding yourself, but because of this uh, this fact of, of motivation versus behavior, just means that you, you are the only one who can say what your number is. And that's one of our, our major golden rules of the Enneagram. And we will be focusing on a strengths-based approach to the Enneagram, not on our foibles and flaws, even though we all know we all have those as humans, but we're trying to grow and be better humans. Yeah, the goal to this is for personal growth, better integration with yourself and others, um, and better relationships with yourself and others. So again, yeah, coming from a strengths-based perspective while also acknowledging the struggles, but instead of solely focusing on the struggles and the negatives, we're going to also constantly remind you of the positives because we want that strengths-based perspective. However, we do have to say a couple things. So first off, this is not a substitute for therapy. This is a great tool for self-growth, as we've said, but it does not substitute for talking with a trained professional about your life problems, because that is also very important. It also is not Myers-Briggs. We just wanted to remind everyone that these are two entirely different systems. First off, Myers-Briggs got 16 categories, does not split evenly into nine. So the math doesn't work out. Additionally, the Myers-Briggs is problematic for several other reasons. And so we are just going to completely separate that from the Enneagram. We don't know why it got connected, but it did. So if you are already, if you have introduced yourself to the Enneagram through that, great. And if not, just leave that behind. And then another great reminder that I personally remind myself of a lot is that eight out of nine people on this planet are different than you. Eight out of nine other people are not going to think the same way that you do, are not going to have the same immediate reactions that you do, 
and just fundamentally operate differently than you, which is great and fine because diversity is amazing. It's our strength and it's also frustrating at times. So just keeping in mind that you are one out of nine and then back to the golden rule. The golden rule of the Enneagram is that you are the only person who can type yourself. You can't type anybody else because this is a system that's based on internal motivation, which only we know about ourselves. And if we're looking at other people, all we know is what we observe about their behavior. We don't actually know what goes on inside their heads. So just a reminder with that, and then, um, you know, this can be a great tool for figuring out where other people might be coming from and why they might be having those reactions, but you don't get to tell anyone who they are and you don't get to roll your eyes when you say like, oh, there's such a blank. That is not the purpose. Don't do that. And then, you know, just again, keep in mind strengths-based perspective. This is not a system to, you know, drag other people down. This is a system for you and your personal growth and your better integration with other people. Exactly. So the other golden rule of this podcast is to not use the Enneagram to be a dick. Just don't be a dick. It's so easy to be kind and not be a dick. So just try not to. This is for self-compassion for you and compassion for other people. And if you're not using it that way, then you're doing the Enneagram not really the way that it could be most helpful. I was going to say wrong, but then I, I had an attack of nine and backed off on that. But please don't. So we're just going to we we will make fun of ourselves. We'll we'll call be calling each other out. All the numbers are going to get equal treatment on that one. Uh but yeah, just don't be a dick. Don't do it. Meg, should we begin our introduction to the uh diagram and what's on there? Sure. Let me pull that up. All right. So as you can see by this wonderful diagram by Ann Geary of the Enneagram approach, we have a circle that is separated into three sections. Numbers two, three, and four are the heart triad. They are represented by the color green and their core strengths and weakness is attunement and distress. Moving on to the head triad, which is numbers five, six, and seven, represented by the color blue. We have the strength of inner knowing and the weakness of anxiety. Moving on finally to the gut or the body triad represented by the color red. We have the numbers eight, nine, and one where their strength is autonomy and their weakness is anger. Finally, the other way that this diagram is structured will be with the biggest word on top being the main core description of this type followed by the core value and then the core belief with the um, core avoidance on the bottom. So there's three lines. What we're going to be doing is briefly going through this diagram, going through each of the numbers. We're going to be doing this by triad. And so the best way to go through the triads is to start with number two, which as a one will annoy me till the day I die. But that's OK, because if, from an efficiency standpoint, it makes the most sense to start with the two. So starting with the two. Twos are represented by holding. Their fundamental belief is that the world doesn't have enough love, and so thus they must be love. And so because of this, they avoid feeling needy. Twos also do this in a relationship-specific way. So their core drive is to have helpfulness in interpersonal relationships, not on a grander scale, but just on a one-to-one -one basis, kind of. 
Next, we have the three. Uh, their big thematic word here is value. They believe that the world values champions and so that they then must be a winner. They avoid feelings of failure. So threes are working with this belief that they need to be a winner by approaching life like a contest that they need to win generally. So you will see threes attempting to feel that they are worthy and good or worthwhile really, I think, by external achievements. So they will often be in positions of power and influence in the world. Um, they might be very ambitious. And the way that they relate to other people can be impacted by that belief about hierarchy or needing to win in positive or negative ways, depending on how healthy they are. Yeah. And a quick note, we forgot to mention that every number exists on a scale of healthy to unhealthy. So two people who are the same number can be acting entirely differently based on where they are in their personal journey and their level of health, um, even day to day. So just to keep that in mind with all of the numbers, there is a full range of behaviors that are, you know, sort of specific to each number, but then different for each person each day. Moving on to the four, they're known for their depth. That's really what they drive for is to really just feel everything in its entirety. This comes from their core belief that the world doesn't understand them. And so thus they have to be their true identity. It's all about authenticity for fours. And so they also, um, because they don't believe that the world understands them, they avoid feeling ordinary. That comes from this deep drive to feel unique um, and to feel everything that the world has to offer. We are now proceeding into the head triad with the five. Their core drive is for clarity. They believe that the world is overwhelming and therefore they must be all-knowing. They respond to this feeling of overwhelm by trying to gather as much information as possible and they avoid feelings of intrusion. The idea that they might be compromised, that their resources are finite and so that they have to protect them. So the anxiety that the head triad is working with manifests in the five by this like information gathering and potentially withholding themselves in times of stress. And then moving on to the six, uh, the number of the head triad that is most familiar with anxiety. They are known for their devotion. And this comes from the core belief that the world is a hazardous place. And so thus the best way to navigate that is through being loyal. This also leads to their core avoidance, which is feelings of risk. So the sixes really see everything from this perspective of safety, where it's all about trying to feel safe in our dangerous world. And so as such, they can really struggle with anxiety, but they also are are used to it to the extent where it's just kind of a like, oh yeah, I'm anxious, whatever, because it's just how they view the world is everything is, again, assessed on this scale of safe to unsafe. And so they are loyal to the people who they feel safe with. We have now the seven. Their core value is potential. And they believe that the world accepts limitations um, and so that they must express potential. They avoid feelings of limitation. So their response to this anxiety is to run as far away from it as possible, as fast as possible in search of new and exciting opportunities. So sevens avoid feeling tied down and feeling confined, and they uh, seek experiences and the feeling of limitlessness that they crave. And moving now on to the gut slash body triad, we start with number eight. Eights are all about empowerment. And this comes from the core belief that the world takes advantage of the weak. And so thus they must be strong. 
And then also because of this, they avoid feelings of vulnerability. And so eights really have this relationship with the world where they have to be the strong ones, they're sticking up for the underdogs, but they don't want to feel weak ever. So they really push themselves away from feelings of vulnerability, which can impact relationships, as can their drive to be perceived as strong, can also impact their relationships and how they move about in the world. Eights, unfortunately, in lots of the other Enneagram literature kind of get a bit of a bad rap. And again, that's because they can be more counterculture. Again, sticking up for the underdog and sticking up for what they think is right, which doesn't always keep the peace. But eights are very important. And again, just very much about this perspective of power and needing to feel in power and not feel weak. So then we have the nine, which sounds like the opposite, but really isn't. The nines are all about unity. This comes from their desire to sort of experience unity in relationship and spiritually. And they believe that the world is chaotic and invasive, and therefore they feel like they must keep the peace. This can pan out in their avoidance of feelings of conflict. So nines will try and create create this sense of peace around them by trying to be harmonious with themselves, the people around them, their relationships. This can be really helpful. They can be great mediators. I should say we. I'm a nine. We can be great mediators. Um, we are really good at seeing both sides of a situation. But this can also mean that we can be unable or unwilling to acknowledge our own perspective and needs. And it can also mean that we basically lie down on the ground and let people walk all over us until we absolutely can't anymore, which can lead to blow ups or passive aggressiveness, both of which are not helpful. So like we saw with the other triads, each triad has a number that's like kind of most or least in touch with that core emotion that they struggle with. Nines are probably the least in touch with their anger. And a healthy nine is more in touch with that anger. and And a less healthy nine is usually more in denial about it. And then from the one perspective, last but not least. Not the least. Not the least. No, no, no. (laughs) Our core value is alignment. We want everything to be right. We want it all to be in its proper place um, and done the proper way. This comes from our core belief that the world is an imperfect place. And the way that we respond to this is feeling that we need to be perfect. And so because of that, our core avoidance is feelings of being wrong. So ones really, really like to internalize things. Um, That's definitely our relationship with anger is instead of directing things outward, um, kind of like the eight does, the one internalizes the need to be perfect. So instead of just saying, you know, the world is imperfect, so I'm going to do what I can to make the world perfect. We say the world isn't perfect. And so I need to be. So this is my job. (laughs) And so because of that, one's deeply, deeply hate feeling wrong, which then can lead ones to have very rigid definitions of what's right and what's wrong. And so healthy ones are much more able to acknowledge and um, appreciate the nuance of life um, and see the world in color and not black and white. So that takes us through this whole diagram. Thank you for playing with us. There are many Enneagram diagrams out there, and um, we just like this one the best. Meg got to take a workshop with the creator and felt like the the way that she described the core kind of ideas of each type was the best that she'd heard. And we thought, this is what we want to use to do the introduction and give them a shout out because it's really healthy, um, a strength-based way of looking at it. And it avoids some of the sort of theological language that can be kind of triggering for people with the Enneagram, some of that like sin language 
that can be difficult for people when they're getting into the Enneagram, especially if they have religious trauma or they're just not familiar with Christianity and don't understand why we're talking about sins, like gluttony all the time. Yep. So real quick, we wanted to go back through and talk about how each number relates to the core principles of the triad. So like we touched on earlier, there's one number in each of the triads that has a very different relationship to that core weakness versus the other numbers. So they all tap into that same strength pretty equally, obviously in different ways. But it's interesting that there's one number in each of the triads that has a different relationship to that core weakness. So for the heart triad, we'll start again with twos. The key um, strength for the heart triad is attunement, is really feeling in tune with their feelings, in tune with other people's feelings. And then the uh, weakness is distress. For twos, they are very much in tune with the feelings of other people. They know what other people need sometimes before that other person knows what they need. They love filling that like host and hostess role. So they're always offering food. They always want to make sure that all your needs are being met and they want to make sure that they are being helpful in that relationship. And so that's how they express attunement. But then they avoid feelings of distress by completely throwing themselves into these relationships, sometimes at their own personal cost. So again, they avoid feeling needy because that is distressing to them because they just want to help everybody else. They don't, they want to be needed. They don't want to be needy. So that's their relationship with that. Yeah. And for threes, so we have in each of these triads, we see there's one one number that just really leans in to that core weakness and is just like hanging out with it all the time. There's one that works with that by kind of externalizing it. We This is what we see with the two. And then we have the avoidant one that's just like, oh, no, I don't experience that. And that would be the three. So they're attuning by being really good at knowing what other people want from them and want them, want them to be. This can mean that they can come across as inauthentic sometimes because they can be really good at being chameleons for whatever situation they're in. But it also means that they're really perceptive about what social dynamics are and like how to show up in a space that's going to be the most advantageous for them. That be level of being strategic can be really helpful, especially if you have other intersecting oppressions that mean that people aren't going to listen to you as easily or take you as seriously. So we definitely don't want to minimize the strength that the threes have in this area. But with the distress, they basically just ignore that it exists. They, they're trying to overcome it by winning at everything all the time. And... Obviously, we're talking about threes that haven't done their work here. So if you're looking for the threes kind of emotional expression, you might not see it as much because they're the avoidant number in the heart triad. And then we have the four. Which just throws themselves fully into the distress. Feel all the feelings. Exactly. They love depth. That's their thing. And that means, you know, why on earth would you shout out certain emotions? You need to feel the full depth of being human. So you have to feel everything. Um, so that's the number of the heart triad that just absolutely commits to <laughs> the distress part of it. But then also really plays off of the attunement st um, strength because they are very in tune with themselves and very in tune with their feelings, but sometimes not as in tune with other people. Um, again, because they really have this core drive to be unique. And so they constantly want to see themselves as being different than other people. So they are in tune with, again, their emotions and their distress, but it's very much the internalized number of that triad. Yeah, so you can kind of see this tension developing, which we'll see in all the triads, where there's a number that kind of is good at differentiating themselves, but not as great necessarily at seeing what's going on with other people. And that can play out in different 
ways depending on the relationships and how well somebody is is showing up and how resourced they are and how many skills they have. So for example, fours can be super empathetic or they can just kind of be narcissistically wallowing in their own thing. Um, And that can totally depend on the four in question. And then we can also see that with fives. So like fives are the externalizing number of the head triad. They're putting their anxiety out here in the world. And I keep gesturing with my hands. I mean, I know we're recording this for video, but also this is primarily an audio format and no one can see my gesturing, but you guys know what I mean. So they're displacing their anxiety onto the world in making it so that, you know, it's distant from them so they can look at it and understand it and kind of try to be objective about what's going on so that you'll see fives just like trying to accumulate more and more and more information like if if they're stressed they just they can't make decisions unless they know literally everything you might be a five if you are the kind of person who reads like every product review and does cross comparisons before you make any purchase because that is the kind of thing that fives are going to try to do especially if you're stressed like you'll you'll you could might see yourself just like looking for more and more and more and more and more and more reassurance that you know what's going on. So that's kind of that's kind of where the five's coming from. Intention with the six, which Meg's going to talk about, which again is the number that just like takes the anxiety and just like lives there. Mm-hmm. Um, which can be their strength. Um, there's plenty of like people who are sixes who are EMTs because again, you know, like oh, it's an anxiety provoking situation. Cool, that's my Tuesday. You know, so um, sixes are really I don't want to say comfortable in their anxiety, but they're so used to it because it's you know their day to day life. So sort of like the five sixes like to gather as much information as possible, but from a relationship perspective. So sixes often use other people as sounding boards. They are also sometimes have hard times making decisions, but instead of reading product reviews, they'll text friends. And so it's very much of wanting to gather other people's opinions. Again, they really value loyalty. And so they trust the opinions of others who they trust and want to make sure that they are making the best and safest decision for them. So they're really in tune with their anxiety. They are a little more disconnected from the strength of inner knowing, whereas fives are very much, you know, like research based and very knowledge driven. Sixes are a little more detached from that because they live more in the anxiety zone. And so they're a little more personally detached from inner knowing. So they don't necessarily know themselves well, but they certainly know their situation in the world around them and their um, circumstances well. Yeah. If you want to know kind of what is going on in a situation do a risk-benefit analysis, especially if it involves interpersonal dynamics. Sixes are great at that. They're really good at seeing kind of like the dynamics at play. Threes and sixes can be either very helpful or just totally devastating because they have that in common. It's kind of like they can see what's happening and then you can see how that would go good or bad. But yeah, sixes, sixes are less able to be certain of their own judgment. That's partly why they're always reaching out to other people. And so healthy sixes can get more confident in themselves. And that can be really cool to see. Sevens are, as we discussed, our avoidant number. They avoid distress. They avoid distress, sometimes to a degree that can be pathological. Their ability to be uncomfortable or to feel confined, that's what they're avoiding. So the anxiety of like, their anxiety is often around like wasted potential. What if I, if I do this and not this, then I may be missing out. Like the FOMO is just so bad for a seven. You know, there can be really spontaneous, but also they might be just waffling constantly. 
And they can also experience kind of a lack of satisfaction with the decision they do make because they're concerned that they might have made the wrong decision and might be missing out. Yep. But then they're also incredibly creative. So they're really attuned with that strength of knowing all of the different possibilities. So that is a real strength of the seven is being able to imagine, you know, limitless possibilities. That's constantly what they're thinking of. Yeah, they're not as concerned by, you know, unlike a six or a five who might be really thinking through like all the things that could go wrong. Sevens might notice those things, but they are more concerned with what could go right and like the possibilities of choices or situations. And they're often kind of more willing to shrug off societal norms if it means that something cool could happen, which is very awesome and can result in like a lot of really great innovation happening for sevens and people around them. And then moving on into the gut slash body triad, the eights have a very open relationship with their anger. Um, Certainly they are the most comfortable with that of the three numbers. Eights use that as part of their power. They get angry when people are mistreated. They get angry when they see the weak being taken advantage of and they show that anger. They say, no, this isn't right. And that makes them angry and they show that anger. So of the three of the gut triad, they are certainly the most comfortable in that anger. And then they also are very autonomous. I think I would argue that they are also the most autonomous number of the three because they are very much firm in their convictions. They can be stubborn at times because they are so confident in their own beliefs. But again, they really value autonomy and being an individual and feeling empowered on an individual basis, making sure that they feel strong while they protect the weak. So yeah, they're most in tune with both of those. (laughs) Yeah. Aids can be amazing advocates for other people. You know, if they have some more resources or skills to like know how to not piss everyone off just immediately, they can be super effective. And, you know, there's a, I think this is one of those things we'll get to more in the podcast where cultural dynamics can really affect how each number experiences the world. Like eights can often really struggle in our culture because depending on your identities, anger isn't super appropriate. Like an eight who is a person of color or who is a woman might just experience this in a really different way than an eight who is a a cisgender white man because of the way that that anger is seen culturally and like whether it's scary or inappropriate or not to express. So if you're an eight or you have an eight in your life, I would just be especially cautious about the kind of assumptions you're bringing to the table because one of my best friends is an eight and she just has felt an enormous amount of shame around being an eight because of the way that is seen by the culture. And that sucks. And I'm, I'm especially calling out my nines here because we are the probably the least connected to our anger out of the entire body triad. We are the sort of the running, the running away, <laughs> the running away uh, number in terms of, of that dynamic. And we're probably also the least connected with our, uh, the autonomy that we're working on. So unhealthy nines are passive and can come across as just like totally disconnected from things that are important or, you know, like an unhealthy nine might often be heard saying like, why are you making such a big deal out of this? They're confusing their own desire to be chill with whether something is actually a big deal. So nines are at their best when they realize that they are important and that their opinions and presence are important and to have boundaries around that so that they can truly be in relationship with other people instead of just kind of like gooping out and like melding onto them emotionally. 
So that process of self-differentiation can be hard for nines because they want that unity and that connection, especially to a higher power or, or source or God. And so if you can have that kind of healthy relationships with other people and a sp- healthy spiritual practice and some good personal boundaries, then you can experience that anger in a way that's not going to be like scary, too scary for you. And you can engage in conflict in a way that's like productive and normal and not avoidant. Yeah, then healthy nines are also far more autonomous. A healthy nine is in touch with themselves. And so that's also important to note on the healthy to unhealthy scale. An unhealthy nine is the most disconnected and a healthy nine is the most connected to both autonomy and anger. And then ones have a different relationship. They have the internalizing of both. So again, ones have the core drive to be perfect themselves, ourselves. And so our relationship with anger is really different than the eights because we do feel angry. We just call it frustrated because that's far more socially acceptable. But I'm low-key frustrated all the time because things aren't right, because the world is imperfect and I want things to be perfect. So we have that anger, but it's completely internalized. And especially, especially as, you know, a woman, again, anger is not socially acceptable. And so it just goes right back inside. So even though I feel angry, it's not perfect in quotes (laughs) to be angry. And so thus I try to not externally appear angry ever. So that means that healthier ones are more in touch with that anger, are able to express that anger externally so it doesn't just build up inside of you like a volcano. Not recommended. But then also in terms of the strength of autonomy, ones can be very autonomous because we have our convictions. We definitely believe in doing things the, you know, whatever our version of right is. And so we are, you know, autonomous from that perspective and from the perspective that we want to do things ourselves. Again, it's this drive for us to be perfect and not for everyone to be perfect. So it's that autonomy in that sense. And then again, a healthy one is going to be more aware of that and aware of how, again, we're one out of nine numbers. Not everybody else cares as much about doing the dishes the right way. So just, you know, (laughs) keeping in mind that the ones who are healthier are able to see the grayscale of life. Yeah. So we'll go into more depth around all of this when we do our further episodes. And I think this might be a good time to just kind of talk about a little bit briefly what our plan is for the next few episodes of the podcast. Our commitment is to cover every single number internally. No, individually. That's the English word I was searching for. Or in turn. Oh, there we go. And we are going to do it in the same order. So we're going to start with two again, and we'll do one episode, full episode on each number. We are also going to cover the triads as an episode. And then we're going to do this like the the thing with the lines, which we are not on the diagram that we use. But if you Google an Enneagram diagram, you'll see these lines and we'll talk about those. But Meg and I both feel that they are, there's simply too much when you're trying to learn this if you add too many things on top. And and we'll also talk about wings. So we'll do some episodes about like, okay, now you, you kind of understand what these numbers are. Now what's going on with these other dynamics? And I would love it if we could close, Meg, with our conversation about what typing yourself can be like. Sure. Because you can enjoy the Enneagram podcast and book and and community around it without knowing your type, but obviously you'll, you're going to want to know your type eventually. Absolutely. Again, 
Enneagram is a tool for self-growth. It's a tool for self-understanding. So it's really great to listen to it, but you are going to get so much more out of this and out of life, quite frankly, if you are able to identify your Enneagram number and then move forward from there. So there's lots of, you know, quizzes and stuff out there, but definitely don't spend any money on those. It's much more helpful to read the descriptions of each type. We have descriptions of each type on our website, accessibleenneagram.com. Read through the descriptions and what I would suggest is keep a list of your top three. So the three that resonate most with you, make sure that it's the thing not that you're resonating most with today, but what seems to resonate most with you on an average. Keep in mind that there's, you know, we, we do have different behaviors on a day-to-day -day basis, but think about what drives you overall. So keep track of that, keep track of, you know, your top three. And then I think the way that you know what your number is, is when you see something that you feel deeply called out, where you see an Enneagram meme, which I love. I love those memes. We're going to start an Instagram account basically just to share those memes. But when you see something and you're like, oh, oh, that's me. Oh, don't Ow. at me that hard. <laughs> that's when you know that's your number. So, you know, go from there and take your time. And, you know, it's natural to mistype at first. So if you don't get it first go, that's fine. You're learning more about another number. So just keep at it until you find something that really deeply resonates with you. And that's that's how you know is when you have that moment where you're like, oh, that's me. Like, I feel seen. I feel heard. That's absolutely who I am. And you will find that description. But again, you're, you're going to find that through reading about it, not through taking quizzes. Yeah. And the other thing I would say, so there's, so I would say that nines are the most likely number to mistype because we can see everyone's perspective all the time. And nines have the most access to the characteristics of all the other numbers by our nature. So if you take a, if you've the kind of person that's taken a lot of quizzes and you constantly get different numbers, I would just kind of keep that nine in the back of your head because that is a possibility. And the other thing I would say is if you know the Enneagram numbers of people in your family, just keep that in mind too because you can respond really strongly to things and it isn't about you. Like for example, in my family, just one example, my mom is a four and I knew immediately when I was reading the descriptions of them, even if she hadn't told me she was a four, which she did, I was like, oh my God, that's my mom. And I had a lot of feelings about it, but it wasn't me. It was just because I like know my mom. My mom is very important to me. We're very close. So I've been impacted by her fourness a lot, mostly positively, right? So keep that in mind too. If you're having just a lot of like reactive feelings, that is probably about relationship. The calling out feeling of like, oh no, that is... I agree with Meg. That's that's good. Like that's really how I knew I was a nine, not a one, which is what I initially mistyped as. Because like deep down, I don't need things to be perfect. I just want to be chill, you know? And I like read a meme about that and I was like, oh shoot. So that's it. There it is. Um, and so that's the other thing, you know, Meg and I both mistyped initially. Meg mistyped as a two and I mistyped as one and then she ended up actually being a one with a two wing and I'm a nine. So like think about the numbers on either side of you to of what you might be thinking, you know, just kind of keep it keep aware of that when we get to the wings episode, you'll see the wings can do, to a greater or lesser degree and really influence how your number shows up and whether you might mistype and just approach it as 
a like a mindfulness practice. If you're somebody who doesn't pay a lot of attention to yourself and what you're thinking, what you're going, how you're going about things, you probably aren't listening to this podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably the kind of person who loves taking personality tests or at least has like a sense that they want to understand themselves better. And so just paying attention, part of the Enneagram work is just paying attention to how you do and what's going on with that. And by doing that, that's how you type yourself. You don't need to buy a book. You don't need to pay to take a quiz to have someone tell you like, you you know, you know who you are. And then if you do want to buy things later, sure, go for it. Like both Meg and I have our favorite Enneagram resources that we can certainly recommend, but you don't need to do any of that to get started. So please tune in again with us uh, next time for our in-depth exploration of the two and the subsequent episodes where we will be covering all of the numbers. Yep. Episode three will be threes. Episode four will be fours. Then we'll end with episode 10 being ones, which still has a one in it. So there. Yeah, there. See ones? We're doing fine. It's all right. You'll be okay. Even if you didn't get the first episode, you'll be all right. We'll manage. Thank you for listening. I'm Tori. And I'm Meg. We hope that you can grow with us. 